Ah, yes. Welcome to a Monday morning edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios here in San Francisco, California. My name is Greg Moraz. I am your host, as always. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride. A couple of reminders. Number one, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. It helps out our metrics tremendously. Number two, make sure that you tell your friends about the show. Number three, if you're interested in advertising with the show, make sure that you email me at greg.moraz at yahoo.com. And message number four, if you are listening to this program and you are eligible to vote and have not yet cast your vote in the upcoming United States presidential election, do so. Get your ballot in. Drop it off. If you're voting in person, get in line early. Do not be intimidated by goons and thugs that are trying to suppress the vote. Make sure you do your civic duty and get out there and vote. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that is getting out and voting. The future of this country depends on it. The future of the sports industry, in my opinion, based on how COVID-19 has been handled, will depend on it. Those of you that listen to this program, you know where I stand politically. And I hope that as a nation, we choose love over hate, hope over fear, and togetherness over divisiveness. So thank you to everybody who has gotten out and voted already. We're going to do a Daily Grounds type of podcast today. I was going to record an episode specifically ranting against Justin Turner. And look, I realize that sometimes I can get a little bit angry. Sometimes I get a little bit overheated in regards to a certain issue. So we're just going to do this daily ground style. We're going to talk about a couple of things that have come up in the Major League Baseball world since we last left you the day after the World Series. So on that note, let us start off the daily grounds and we'll begin with talking about Justin Turner. So I'm not going to read the full statement to you, but Major League Baseball put out a statement that said that Justin Turner defied Major League Baseball security and all officers on site by leaving the clubhouse and going back out onto the field of play. I was going to just get incredibly angry, and I've decided against that because I feel like rage during this period of time isn't going to help anybody. All I can say is that Justin Turner is incredibly ignorant. He's incredibly selfish. But what it also says is that Major League Baseball also failed in booting Turner from the facility as soon as it was revealed that he tested positive for COVID. That's all I can say. You cannot tout your protocols. You cannot say, well, we told him to self-isolate immediately. It didn't matter. If his test was inconclusive from the day prior and then his test from that day was positive, it's too late. He's already exposed everybody in the dugout. The only thing you can do is to make sure that he gets away from the facility and is separate from the team. The Dodgers flew home without any more positive tests, but are we going to know that? Because of HIPAA, are we even going to know that any of the Dodgers ended up testing positive? I bet you there are a ton of Dodgers positive tests that we do not know about, and we don't know about them because we don't have to know about them. They don't have to be revealed to us. Justin Turner's decision is a microcosm of everything that has gone on in regards to how the United States has handled the pandemic of 2020. And I think that Turner needs to be asked about that behavior the next time he is put in front of a microphone. Turner's a free agent, remind you. He is not guaranteed to return to the Dodgers. 
He is, I believe, 35 or 36 years old. He still has a couple of good years of baseball left in him. But once he does come in front of a microphone again, somebody is going to have to ask him why he decided to behave that way, why it was more important for him to celebrate without a mask on than it was to protect. And it's not just his team at this point. We can agree that there's nothing that he could have done after the positive test, given that he wasn't wearing a mask in the dugout. There's nothing that he could have done to have prevented anything that he already did. The only thing he could have done is to protect all other personnel that were on the field during that celebration post-game. Who knows who could have gotten exposed, whether it be personnel for Fox Sports, personnel for Dodgers PR, personnel, wives of other players, personnel involved with stadium operations. I could continue to go on. There are a lot of people, photographers in particular, however close the photographers might have gotten. Major League Baseball security was weak. They did not drop the hammer on Turner like they could have before that game ended. And because of that, we are going to need an explanation from Turner himself in regards to why he defied orders. It's on Major League Baseball for not acting stronger in this case, but it's also on Turner for not acting responsibly. Shame on you, Justin Turner, and I hope at some point, just like we wanted with the Astros post-cheating scandal, you're going to have to answer for everything that you just did. On to our next topic, and that is the new managers in Major League Baseball. So when the rumors surrounding Tony La Russa as the next White Sox manager came out, we only thought that it was just a speculation of our good friend, Bob Nightingale. Yes, thanks to our good friend Adam Odell, you can follow him on Instagram at Composer McComposerFace. We now have a Bob Nightingale drop to put into every episode every time we mention him. So I hope you sincerely enjoyed that. But according to Nightingale, he kept touting Tony La Russa as the White Sox number one candidate from the start. And I just thought this was just a typical Bob going out on a limb because he's friends with Jerry Reinsdorf type of deal. As it turns out, it wasn't because the White Sox last week hired Tony La Russa to be their next manager. A.J. Hinch was out there. Alex Cora was out there. Bruce Bochy was out there. Joe Espada was out there. And the other guy that I can't seem to remember the name of, Quantro Quatralo, I, I don't remember who that is at the moment, and my apologies for not. They decided to go with a guy that hasn't managed in nine years. And I listen to a lot of Chicago sports radio. I listen to a lot of Chicago media personalities. This move is absolutely being ripped by everybody around there because it's typical cronyism. Jerry Reinsdorf said his biggest regret was letting Ken the Hawk Harrelson fire Tony La Russa back in 1986. Tony La Russa was first hired to manage the White Sox in 1979. Again, 1979. Tony La Russa managed the 1983 Chicago White Sox to the American League Western Division title. Think about that. Tony La Russa is being hired to manage a team that he last managed in 1986. He has not managed since 2011. And say what you will about La Russa. He's a very good tactician in regards to the bullpen. He has shown that he is a winning manager. He's the third winningest baseball manager of all time. 
and he has three World Series titles. 1989 with the Oakland A's, 2006 with the St. Louis Cardinals, and 2011 with the St. Louis Cardinals. Tony La Russa does not fit what this White Sox clubhouse is. This is a group of young, exciting players that play with a lot of flair. Tim Anderson loves his bat flips. The White Sox love to play with energy. Tony La Russa hates bat flipping. He hates players that don't play his style of baseball. He also has said that he does not like player protests. He criticized the sincerity of Colin Kaepernick's protests back in 2016. And Tony La Russa tried to cover for both issues during his press conference on Friday, or was it Thursday? I can't remember which day, by saying that he is fine with both as long as they are sincere. And Dan Bernstein of 670 The Score made a great point. Who are you to decide whether a celebration or a protest is sincere or not? You are not the one that makes the rules. You are not judge, jury, and executioner. You are a baseball manager. Tony LaRusso was brought in because he's Jerry Reinsdorf's friend. And basically, this hire was made for one of two reasons. Number one, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't realize how bad this looks optically. Or number two, he doesn't care because he just wanted to give his friend a job. Remember, when Tony LaRusso was running baseball operations for the Arizona Diamondbacks, he hired as his director of analytics his friend, Dr. Ed Lewis, who had no experience in statistical analytics. His background was as a veterinarian. But why did he get the job? Because he's known Tony La Russa for 35 years. The White Sox are participating in the worst form of cronyism that you can imagine. And for anybody that follows the White Sox or follows the Bulls or follows anything in regards to Chicago sports, this is a Jerry Reinsdorf hire, and if you looked at Rick Hahn, the general manager of the White Sox, during that press conference, all you can see is a guy that feels like he's being held hostage. And how did the White Sox marketing and social media team feel when they sent out the graphic about LaRusso's hiring? It had A.J. Hinch's signature on it. This was a home run hire. You had this in the bag. This was the best job available of the White Sox, Tigers, and Red Sox. This was the best job available. You could have had anybody you wanted. And you hired a 76-year-old that hasn't managed in nine years. In fact, by the time the 2021 season starts, he will not have managed for 10 years. And he is just the second manager in the history of baseball, with Connie Mack being the other, to be hired as a living Hall of Famer. Yes, Tony La Russa is already in the Baseball Hall of Fame. How many years is he going to do this? Is he going to be able to connect with these players? What kind of staff is he going to bring in? Is he going to adapt to modern baseball? The one thing where I will say that LaRusso is an upgrade is bullpen management because Lord knows that Rick Renneria was not the guy to be able to properly manage a bullpen. And as soon as Tony LaRusso gets hired, I could continue to go on and on and on about him, but I think that we've said enough. This could be a good hire. It could be an absolute train wreck. We will have to see how that White Sox clubhouse responds. And again, people have made the point just based on who Tony LaRusa is, his age, and his style of clubhouse management, that this is not going to be a good fit for the White Sox off the field. However, 
Because the White Sox made this big goof up, the Detroit Tigers, a less desirable job at the current moment than the White Sox, get to go hire A.J. Hinch, which they did. The Tigers have got a lot of young pitching prospects that are very intriguing, and they also have Spencer Torkelson, who is the number one overall pick in the 2020 draft and could prove to be an absolute superstar when it is all said and done. Hinch has accomplished a rebuilding job before. He rebuilt the Astros from one of the worst teams in baseball when he took over in 2013 into a World Series winner. Cheating aside, the Astros still had the talent to be a World Series champion in each of his previous three years prior to his firing in the 2019-2020 offseason. A lot of people think that Hinch should have been suspended longer, but you basically have to go with what was set out for you, and he served his suspension, he is eligible to be hired, and the Detroit Tigers hired the best manager available. And I fully expect the Detroit Tigers to end up being one of the better teams in baseball come five years from now because they're going to have a lot of young talent and a manager that knows how to win. The only other managerial job that's available right now is the Boston Red Sox job. They've interviewed a lot of candidates, but by the way, one thing to note, the White Sox didn't even interview A.J. Hinch. To satisfy the Bud Selig rule of interviewing minority candidates, they interviewed Willie Harris, their former utility infielder, who is the outfield and base running coordinator for the Cincinnati Reds. That's it. That's it. The White Sox didn't interview anybody else other than a courtesy interview to fill a minority rule. But it seems like the Red Sox are just going to rehire Alex Cora, or at least that's what it seems like they want to do. Remember, Heim Bloom came from Tampa Bay. Heim Bloom did not hire Alex Cora. Heim Bloom fired Alex Cora after his suspension to hire Ron Renneke on an acting manager basis, and now it looks like he will rehire Alex Cora because there's nobody else out there that he necessarily would want to hire. A couple of intriguing candidates. I don't know if they'd rehire John Farrell. Farrell led the Red Sox to the 2013 World Series title, although I don't think this regime is going to hire him back. Bruce Bochy, I don't think, is really in for a rebuilding job, so I don't think he's out there. Maybe they hire... Cora, maybe they hire Joe Espada, but that's the only other managerial job available, and I think that you're probably going to see Alex Cora go back to Boston. So it is now worth noting that the offseason has already begun. Yes, I know. It's amazing. We already have player movement. We already have players that have been declared free agents. We already have options that have been declined. So when you see news of players receiving the qualifying offer, here's what that means. If you are a free agent or about to be an unrestricted free agent, you are eligible to receive what is called the qualifying offer. The qualifying offer is very much like the franchise tag in football. It's a one-year contract at a set rate. However, unlike in football with the franchise tag, where that rate is determined upon the average salary of that position group, it is one set salary in Major League Baseball. It's $18.9 million. So basically, if you extend the qualifying offer to somebody, then what that means is that you are giving that player a one-year $18.9 million contract. They can accept it or they can decline it. Now, 
if you accept the offer, that means you are playing on that one-year $18.9 million contract, but you are eligible to sign an extension with the team. Last year, two players accepted the qualifying offer. That was Minnesota's Jake Odorizzi and the White Sox' Jose Abreu. Now, Abreu signed an extension. I think Odorizzi stayed on a one-year contract with the Twins. I'm not sure. However, the pandemic has basically turned the Major League Baseball free agent frenzy into a race to the bottom. Who can pay players the less? And most of the time, you see a lot of players extended the qualifying offer. And here's why they do that. If you extend the qualifying offer and the player declines it, if they sign with another team, you receive a compensation pick in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. So effectively, you receive a late first-round pick if you extend the qualifying offer to a type A free agent and they decline. You get a compensation B round pick if you extend a qualifying offer to a type B player and they decline. Now, why am I bringing this up? And here is the reason why I am bringing this up. Most years, you see a lot of teams extend the qualifying offer. Players decline it. This year, you only saw six players even receive the qualifying offer. They are the Reds' Trevor Bauer, the Phillies' JT Real Muto, the Astros' George Springer, the Yankees' DJ LeMahieu, the Giants' Kevin Gaussman, and the Mets' Marcus Stroman. Now, the first four make a lot of sense. Bauer is going to make a lot of money on the free agent market, even with teams trying to cut back spending because of COVID. Bauer is still a guy that's going to get over $15 million a year, so he may very well likely take the qualifying offer and bet on himself again next offseason when you assume that there is going to be more of a fervor to spend more liberally as opposed to this year when teams are going to try and spend as little as possible. JT Real Muto, not so sure what they're going to do with him. George Springer is probably the best outfielder available on the market, so I imagine that he's probably going to look elsewhere unless he doesn't feel like he can get the money to go anywhere else. Although, granted, he's one of the guys that's been rumored to be unhappy with the culture in Houston and might just want to get out anyway. DJ LeMayhew, I think, is a candidate to take the qualifying offer, although he certainly could get a multi-year contract from almost anybody. He's the reigning batting champion. But again, it's going to be a matter of whether or not he decides to stay. The other two are interesting. Marcus Stroman didn't pitch at all this year, and I think that the Mets know he doesn't want to come back, so he probably doesn't accept the qualifying offer and they get a compensation A-round pick out of him. Kevin Gaussman with the Giants is interesting because he's not a guy that at this point in his career is worth $18.9 million. By the way, one minor note on the Mets. Steve Cohen, the billionaire, has finalized his purchase of the New York Mets from the Wilpon family. I was going to do a separate highlight on that, but basically you've got a multi-billionaire that is now the owner of the New York Mets, and maybe that convinces Stroman to want to stay in New York, and Cohen's a guy that more than likely is going to be able to spend more liberally than the Wilpons would have been if they had remained the owners. What this also says is that a lot of players that more than likely would have been retained by their teams are going to end up becoming free agents. And guys that would get multi-year contracts may only get one-year deals at well below market rate. Again, 
This is what not having fans in stands and what COVID has done to Major League Baseball front offices. Are they poor? No. Have they lost money? Yes. What do we want to believe from Major League Baseball? Well, I think that's up to your interpretation. There was a report out by Evan Drellich of The Athletic that said that the A's were going to lay off 150 of the employees that they previously furloughed. The Cubs laid off 100 employees. The Astros laid off 40 employees. And other teams had laid off upwards of 50 employees, including the San Francisco Giants, which makes it interesting that they would offer a qualifying deal to Kevin Gaussman at $18.9 million when he is nowhere close to worth that. So here are a couple of interesting option pickups and declinings that we could have seen shake out differently if this had been a normal year. Giancarlo Stanton is going to remain in his contract and be with the Yankees for the next seven years at $218 million. He could have opted out. Obviously, you're not going to opt out of that contract given that you're not going to receive that kind of money from anybody else on the free agent market, especially not this year. So Giancarlo Stanton is going to remain a Yankee. The Pirates declined their $11 million option on Chris Archer for 2021. This isn't shocking. The Pirates are rebuilding. They don't want to pay Archer that money. And pretty clear at this point that the Tampa Bay Rays won the trade that gave them Tyler Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and Shane Baz. Speaking of the Rays, they declined their 2021 options on Charlie Morton and Mike Zunino. Morton was going to make $15 million. Zanino was going to make $4.5 million. I think Zanino probably comes back. I think Morton has a really good chance of retiring. Charlie Morton isn't worth $15 million at this point in his career, but I still think you want to have him around. I think the Rays don't have a better option at this point than Mike Zanino, so I'm surprised that they declined that option. Moving on to the Cubs, they declined their $25 million option on John Lester, So more than likely, Lester will be done in Chicago. We'd be curious to see who decides to sign him. The Cubs did exercise their $16.5 million option on Anthony Rizzo for 2021. The Cubs are going to try and run it back one more time. They didn't want to let Rizzo go. And while the Cubs don't want to spend money at this point, they want to give it one more go in 2021. And it'd be better for them to take Rizzo at this rate than to let him walk. The Cleveland Indians declined their $17.5 million option on Carlos Santana. He had a terrible year. He's going to be 35 early next year. Santana had a bad year. Not surprised on that. The Indians, though, did decline the $10 million option on Brad Hand, even though he was one of the best relievers in baseball. Again, this is a result of the pandemic and teams not wanting to spend money. The Indians also declined their option on Domingo Santana. That was worth $5 million, but they exercised their option on Roberto Perez for $5.5 million, and the reason why they did this is they have no better options at catcher. The White Sox declined their options on Gio Gonzalez, $7 million for 2021, probably a good decision, and their $12 million option on Edwin Encarnacion. He had a bad year. Maybe the White Sox bring him back at a cheap rate, but that's $19 million of money that they decided to say adios to. The Orioles exercised their $3.5 million option on Jose Iglesias. He actually had a pretty good year, and I think that with the Orioles starting to look like a better team, he's a good guy to keep around. The Rangers declined their $18 million option on Corey Kluber. He made one start. He had a shoulder injury. $18 million is not worth picking up for a guy that is looking like he's going to be a chronically injured player for the rest of his career. 
The Red Sox declined their $6.5 million option on Martin Perez. No surprise. The Dodgers declined Jimmy Nelson's $2 million option for 2021. Nelson has had a lot of problems with injuries. I feel bad for him. He's been a great story when he has been healthy. I hope that Jimmy Nelson finds a way to stay in baseball. The Mets exercised their $6.5 million option on Dellen Batances for 2021. The Mets are more than likely, because of ownership change, going to be able to spend more money. And by the way, it's a $6.8 million option, not a 6.5. The Phillies declined David Robertson's $12 million option. He had two really bad years when they signed him, so not surprising. The Cubs declined Daniel Descalso's $3.5 million club option. He was terrible or non-existent. The Yankees declined J.A. Happ's $17 million option. I still can't believe, and even though he's a fellow Northwestern alum, that J.A. Happ was worth $17 million to anybody. And Brett Gardner had his $10 million option declined for 2021. Maybe he comes back, but I would say that Brett Gardner has a good chance of retiring. I don't see him ever going to another team. So... Brett Gardner's option declined, and that is going to be it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Make sure you get out and vote tomorrow, and we will talk to you very soon.